Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Law School Lounge podcast. This is a Carolina Academic Press production where we discuss everything law school. The Law School Lounge is a place for students and faculty alike to discuss law school and the law. We hope you'll hang out with us for a while. Hello, everyone. It is so wonderful to have you here back at the Law School Lounge. This week, I have an incredible guest with me. Her name is Professor Shalini George. She is a professor at Suffolk University Law School in Boston, and she currently teaches legal writing and a 1L well-being and professional identity formation course. We talk a little bit about that in this first episode. Her scholarship focuses on the areas of lawyer well-being being, mindfulness, and the cognitive science of learning. She's the author of The Law Student's Guide to Doing Well and Being Well, published here at Carolina Academic Press in 2021. She's also written important law review articles on distraction and the cognitive science of learning and why law students need mindfulness training. Professor George was recently appointed to the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court Standing Committee on Lawyer Well-Being, and she co-chairs its Legal Education Subcommittee. She also recently joined the Board of Directors of the Institute for Well-Being in Law. Professor George is a member of the Executive Committee for the AALS Balance and Well-Being in Law section and was the winner of the section's 2022 award for her work on law student well-being. Without further ado, let's jump on into my talk with Professor George. Shalini and I discuss a plethora of things tied to well-being. We pay particular attention to the adversarial or combative nature of law school and how that has a trickle-down effect and negative impact on law student well-being. We also consider how faculty or other members of the community can enhance the well-being of their students as they navigate these difficult situations that are not just specific to law school, but just to pressures and professional careers in general. If you take one thing away from this episode, it should be that habits related to mindfulness start as soon as you want them to start, and that you should build those habits and work towards mindfulness and well-being even when you're a student, because those habits and those good practices will carry over into the profession and will only make you a better lawyer and a better person. So let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining us today. Shalini George is with us and we are going to be talking about mental health, well-being, and all of those types of components of law school that just simply probably don't get talked about enough. And much of this information and much of our discussion is going to be centered around Chalini's book, The Law Student's Guide to Doing Well and Being Well. And our first set of conversation topics will be the competitive nature of law school and whether or not well-being is really something that's talked about enough. And 
So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a brief introduction of what you think the landscape looks like in this regard. Yeah, sure. Um, And I just want to thank you, Crystal, for having me. And I want to thank Kat for the opportunity uh, to work on the book. Because when I first suggested it, I think for for various reasons, um, it was something a little bit different and maybe unexpected. And I think that kind of ties into to your question a little bit, because typically what we talk about in law school is doctrine or skills, you know, very specific information that we try to teach students and we want them to incorporate and learn as they traverse their law school careers and eventually pass the bar exam. But as a legal writing professor, what I had noticed over years um, of teaching was that there were a lot of things that my students were talking to me about outside of the classroom that directly impacted their ability to do well in the classroom, but they didn't feel like there really was a place for them to process talk about, work on, or address um, those issues. And it's kind of all of those conversations that led me down a path of research and writing about just the concept of learning. Um, We don't talk about it enough in law school. We just assume that students come to law school. They've been successful students before. And so we assume uh, maybe because we went through law school and we could do it, you know, just fine. And because we figure our students have had some success before they come to law school, we assume they're going to be able to just adjust and handle law school, you know, just fine. But my experience was that the times are changing. People are changing. Technology, smartphones, the pandemic. I mean, any number of things that have happened over the the course of the last five to 10 years are really directly impacting students' ability to concentrate, focus, learn, and perform. So the book and sort of a lot of the things that I want to talk about in the well-being um, realm are just my my uh, um, desire to really help students connect with themselves and to be able to bring their true, whole, authentic selves to the law school classroom because I think they're going to be able to perform better um, if we do that. And that means addressing a lot of the things that have sort of always remained either unsaid or unaddressed or part of a hidden curriculum that only some students who have a lot of familiarity with the law may have known about before. And in your opinion, why do you think this hasn't really been addressed before now? Or why do you think this has gone undiscussed for so long? You know, that's a really interesting question. And I I don't know that I know the exact answer to that, except that nobody was willing to talk about their own struggles. And I think there's, there's, everybody was kind of putting up a front. So now we read about things like imposter syndrome, which is one of the things I talk about in my book. I mean, I had imposter syndrome 30 years ago when I was in law school, but I didn't know that it had a name and I didn't know that other people also felt that way. I didn't know that it was a normal thing that we go through in a new situation that is so challenging. So I think we all assumed everybody else was okay and we were individually the only ones struggling. So I think there's there's a lot more conversation these days just generally in the general population about mental health and trying to remove the stigma and the barriers to treatment and to sort of acknowledging that there are things that or isolation, um, loneliness, belonging, you know, that, that these things that we don't often share are actually very common and that if we do talk about them and if we give them space and if we give students an opportunity to, to connect with us on that more individual level, it's really beneficial. So I think maybe it hasn't been covered before, partly because we thought we weren't supposed to talk about our individual you know, problems or challenges. Uh, 
a lot of law professors, I think, think they did just fine. And so we don't really need to, to be talking about these things. But I think it's kind of, you know, the times change. And so maybe our way of teaching should change too. Yeah. And I think you make a really great point in saying just there's a, a shift in perspective, right? And this idea that mental health and things that come along with any of the topics you talked about, like imposter syndrome or just isolation and, and struggle, isn't necessarily a personal deficiency or some sort of moral wrong, right? right? It's more weakness. Exactly. Weakness is a really big one, especially in law school and law, right? Nobody wants to come across as some sort of weak person who's unable to advocate for themselves or be strong for others. And so I think by default, the profession itself kind of lends itself to sweeping these issues under the rug. And I know you talk a little bit about the crisis within the legal profession with mental health. And so, you know, what can you share with us about that? Well, there's the statistics are everywhere and there's, there's a lot of data, both in Massachusetts where I am and nationally about the challenges that lawyers are facing. So there's a disconnect that's happening somewhere and that's part of what I'm really trying to address. So students come, you you have this dream of going to law school because you think that you're going to do good in the world. You have a dream to help people that, you know, law is a noble profession. Um, All these aspirations of really using a law degree to its best effect. And then something changes during law school and we go out into the practice world and we are so disconnected from those those dreams or hopes that took us to law school. And then we're finding, you know, on that end that lawyers are struggling. Lawyers are struggling with mental health, with addiction issues, with burnout, with anxiety. So my thought is we say we want to prepare students for practice in law school. So let's actually prepare them for practice. If we know that that lawyers face these challenges, why not start now to teach students that it is it is normal to have these challenges and struggles and that there are things that we can do affirmatively to prepare ourselves um, to handle those, those struggles as they are only going to build when you're in practice. I think that's so fair to say. And I appreciate that your book provides a lot of tools for people to start working through these types of feelings and things now or while they're in law school. Of course, I am not in law school. I graduated 10 years ago, but I still will use the tools that you put into your book. Um, I liked the reminder on things like meditation and uh, I've been walking my dogs twice a day every day since I read your book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I know. I know. Cause you, I know you have dogs too. Um, I do. I do. I, yeah. And I, I mean, I think you, you kind of just get wrapped up and forget. And, and I know myself personally, when I was practicing before I went into publishing, uh, I worked for the federal government and, you know, there are security clearances and things like that, that come along with that. And there are lots of questions or there were, I should say, lots of questions about your mental health and anything that you might have been taking medication-wise. And it had a very chilling effect on sharing or wanting to pursue help. And I think in the legal profession specifically, when you're graduating and you're going to take the character and fitness sort of component for a long time, those were the similar concerns that people had, right? That it would reflect poorly on your fitness and ability to be a lawyer. I know that that has shifted a little bit. 
Uh, and so sort of this openness now allows for room to give people the tools that you talk about in your book. And I think that's so important. Right. It has shifted, thankfully, but I find students aren't aware of the shift so much. A lot of students still think that it is going to affect their um, application to the bar. And so that is that is another reason why we need books like mine and talks like this and outreach so that, so that everyone understands it is not an impediment um, to bar admittance um, to get the help that you need. But I, I also want to kind of focus on something that I think a way that I approach these topics in my book. So one, one thing is just a quick joke that I often say this book is anybody's guide to doing well and being well, um, mm-hmm. because we all need, I think, reminders to think about uh, mindfulness and how we can become overwhelmed with distraction and multitasking. And, you know, we all fall into those traps. And I usually tell people um, that it's my publisher that wanted the the words, the law student's guide um, in the title. So um, that, that is just an aside though, that I think we can all really think about some of the topics in the book, but um, you're right in that we, we have to convince people that it's, that they can't be, um, I can't hold themselves back from getting treatment because of the fear, but also my, the tone and the topic of my book is 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 really also focused on your average student who maybe doesn't have a particular mental health challenge mm-hmm. or or anxiety, but it's about you know really trying to help anyone um, flourish and thrive. So some of the habits that I talk about, um, they're really, it's applicable to anyone in any situation, but for every student, if we build, if you build the habits now, right, that you walk your dog in the morning or that you, instead of like, I, I talk in some of my, um, when I, when I give talks or I've written a couple of short articles, uh, relating to the book that I want to break the stereotype of the law warrior mentality Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, for my students, it's, I hear all the time, Professor George, I have to stay in the library till midnight tonight because I have so much to do. Or in, or in practice, it's, you know, I have, I, I have a brief due and I'm just going to bang it out in these three days. I'm going to work, you know, 16 hours a day. And I want to, I want people to really think about the fact that that is not a productive and efficient and, or probably the best way to get the work done, that doing something like getting up and taking a walk or stretching or, um, you know, deep breathing, that there are small things that we can do that can have a major impact on clarity of thinking, of creativity, of really like coming up with new arguments or doing the kinds of things that lawyers really need to do. And so building those as habits in law school so that you're not suddenly trying to find that when you have a billable hour requirement hanging over your head or something. So that I think is just sort of an important component too, is that it's building the habits to be so that, that you don't have to use additional willpower to do these things in the future. You can learn to work them into your everyday life. Yeah. I mean, it's another element of setting yourself up for success, right? That people don't think about in that way, but it, it truly is. And it's it's funny that you talk about the warrior mentality in law school, because I remember thinking, I can't wait to graduate law school because then I'm just going to have like a normal job. And oh, have, right. right, you know, just sort of this idea that law school is extra in some way. 
uh, and then, you know, you got out into the profession and, and it's, it's extra all the way around. So <laughs> it's good exactly to right. not have that sort of delusion. Yeah, right? yeah exactly right. Um, and I really like in your book where you talk about pessimism. Um, and so I'm going to read what you have here mm-hmm. because I think it's kind of unique to the mindset of practicing or being in law school mm-hmm. and thinking through legal issues that makes mental health kind of unique among lawyers in a way, or like mental health struggles. And so you say here, thinking like a lawyer is fundamentally negative. It is critical, pessimistic, and depersonalizing. It can be hard to balance thinking like a lawyer when required at school or work, but then leaving that skill at the office at the end of the day and engaging in other activities or skills to enhance your personal life and relationships. When I read that, I was like, I have not read anything more true, sadly, more true than that. It's it's so true. And one of the first pieces of advice I got in law school was from my roommate's dad, who was a lawyer. And he's like, I'm going to tell you right now, because my parents didn't go to law school. I didn't know anyone who went to law school. Mm-hmm. And he's like, law school changes the way you think. Once you think differently, it's really difficult to go back. You're never really going to see things the same way. And I was like, wow, that's really extra, sir. Like, that's a lot. But he was yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. And so that's yeah. what that reminded me of, right? It does change the way you think about things. Well, if you think about all of law school is taught in an adversarial mode. I mean, from day one of law school, it's it's cases, and it's always about, you know, the, 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 this person versus this person. It doesn't have to be that way. There are a lot of things that lawyers do that are not adversarial, but we don't focus on them in law school. It's just not a part of the ordinary law school format. And so I think just even recognizing that the impact that that has and that it maybe you need a transition from the end of your workday before you can engage in a, in a positive affirming activity. And that, that thing could be just a little bit of deep breathing. It could be a little journal writing. It could be listening to music, but finding a way literally to let go of that mindset because we do need it at times. Um, I know, you know, if I, when I took some depositions or if I had trials, I mean, I did practice for 10 years before I started teaching. Um, and I dealt with some very negative and nasty people and I would have to build up my armor, you know, before I went into that situation. And so it takes a little while to, I think, to take that armor off, but it's something I think if we're consciously aware of, then it's something that we have a little bit more power over as opposed to just letting things happen to us. And I think, you know, we're all, again, these are concepts that apply to anyone anywhere in, in um, wanting to be more intentional about how we conduct ourselves and how we spend our time. But with respect to the adversarialism or the pessimism, I think if you sometimes I used to think about it that way, like I'm putting my armor on and when it was over, I'm going to take it off. And I'm going to recognize that in this moment, this may be a skill or an attitude that I need, but this is not me. And I can be somebody different when it's over. And I think what we see sometimes is that people don't, they don't stop, you know, they just become 
kind of hardened. Um, and, and I want, I want, I don't want my students to start their careers and, you know, have their whole careers like that. So again, like bringing some of this conversation into the classroom about who they are as people, what is it that they really want to do? How does it connect with what they're studying? How might they, maybe they have a, a summer job and then they need to course correct a little bit because, you know, working in the DA's office is not exactly what, what they envisioned. That's okay. You know, that's okay. That's part of the learning process. That's part of setting oneself up for better experiences, you know, when we're in the working world. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that you mentioned the adversarial sort of component and how that really truly does start in law school. And that's when we started out our discussion here, we talked about the competitive nature of law yeah. school, right? And just sort of, you know, lots can be said about that in and of itself, of course. But it is very, very competitive in many different ways. And I think sort of feeling of competitiveness carries over. And it's odd because <laughs> law is very weird in the sense that people always used to ask, how do you go, you know, argue a case and then talk to the person who is on the other side and then like go out to lunch with them. And I'm like, well, cause it's not personal. Right. So in a lot of ways, we're very good at putting away <laughs> the sort of uh -huh. adversarial competitive uh -huh. nature, but at the same time, we're also really terrible at it. And I, I think the sort of competitive component really does start in law school. And so how would you recommend navigating that? Yeah. It's so difficult because I, sometimes I feel like it's, it's not authentic for me to say this to students because then they're like, but there's a grading curve and, you know, there's rankings and I, yeah, I you know, I want, design, yeah, right? I want to work in big law and this is what I have to do. So, you know, some of it I think is just encouraging the conversation and reflection for students that they can consider what were their internal motivating factors, you know, and desires in coming to law school. So what is it that you wanted to achieve? And it, I find it happens so often that somebody comes to law school, like, I'm going to be a public defender. I really believe in, you know, I've been reading about the Innocence Project. I really want to be involved with helping people who've been wrongfully convicted. And then somewhere during the first year of law school, they suddenly want to work in a big law firm because that's what they hear other people talking about that seems to be the brass ring. And then that shifts their focus to these external factors of grades, rankings, you know, class ranking and um, curves. And, you know, it, it ups that competitiveness, competitiveness factor. So I, I encourage my students who I, I teach this experimental, it's not experimental anymore, but an elective first year class where we use my book. And it's a one credit pass, no pass class. And the primary work we do in that classroom is writing reflection papers. And so in these short reflection papers, I really try to bring students back to their internal desires and motivations for coming to law school and try to make connections for them between what they're doing and like, again, being intentional about making sure that the actions that they're taking are in line with their internal motivating um, desires and not simply that this is what I'm hearing and seeing um, around me. Now, it can be hard. And, and some students insist that they want to work in big law, and some of them really need to because they have a lot of debt and they can't see a way, you know, a, a way through without reaching for that goal. And if that's the case, and if that's a truly desire, then I would work with those students too to help them understand what they need to do 
um, in order to get there. But I think law school in general, we could we could make some changes institutionally that would help. Um, I don't really, I'm not a fan of grading curves per se. I don't, I don't, I don't really, you know, if it were up to me, um, I, I would be able, I would, I would like to just look at all of my students and say, you're all good students trying to get better. And so I would like to be able to give them honest feedback that is not tied to a grade that has a, such a direct impact on their mental well-being. Um, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> um, not everybody's on board with that, but that would be one of my desires that we could kind of tamp down, um, you know, grading curves, uh, ranking students who don't need to be ranked, um, you know, a few other things. Because actually, you know, we did an interesting survey one year asking students about rankings, and I realized that it's just as stressful for the students at the top because then they you know, completely, completely stress out about trying to stay there. And it's certainly not really helpful for students who are not at the top. Um, they need honest feedback. They need to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are and how they can improve the skills that they need to be lawyers. But they don't need to be told that they're not good enough at the very beginning because that stays with them. And that that is an exclusionary, um, not you know, make students feel like they don't belong. It doesn't help. And, and if, you, if a student, student, some students who get bad grades at the beginning of the year, they never, they almost never are able to shed that idea of themselves as law students. No, I agree. And I, I think back to law school and I just think about how public it all was, right? Like everyone knew, right. everyone else stood and there was really no way to work around that at all. And it, it really f sort of encouraged, right, the already competitive nature that's inherent in just what you're doing. It kind of fosters that, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I knew everyone who was in the top 10% because that's who you go on interviews with too, right? So there's also this sort of component where if you're ranked a certain way, you have certain benefits and opportunities that other people might not. And that makes it even more apparent, right? It kind of creates an inherent divide, whether you want there to be one or not. Right. And, and those students who are in the top like to be able to tell everybody else. Sure. Well, and then you have you things know. like law review. I mean, it's right. the top 10% right. just determines so much off the bat. And right. it, you whether you are really close with those people at the top 10% with you or not, you end up spending a lot of time with them because you just do a lot. They put you in a lot of the same things and it happens so early in law school, right? Like after the first right. semester, first year. Right. Um, and you're, you still have so much to go. Right. And then if you don't stay in the top 10% there, you can still have the same opportunities. It's, it's just a weird it's just, it's like, it's like, if you don't make, how do I explain it? Like if you don't, cause I'm trying to think of people who maybe don't know about this yet too, to kind of give context, but you know, there were students who were initially in the top 10%. And so they had the opportunities that were given to the top 10%. And then they fell out of the top 10% and other people came in, but those other people, since they came in late, didn't get any of sort of yeah. those other benefits. And so it's just a weird it, it, it's just very odd. It's something difficult to wrap your head around at first. Well, here's what I'll say. 
and and I just say, I reveal all of this in the book. I was not anywhere near the top 10% in law school. I struggled. Um, I got a C in one of my first year classes. Torts, right? Uh, to, torts, yeah. Um, it was not, I, you know, for any number of reasons, I had a difficult time. And um, it took me a long time to decide, I think well into my second year that, that okay, maybe, maybe I, this isn't, for, for, I thought I had made a, bad decision for some time, but I, but I came around. But the thing is when you're in law school and you are getting your class rank, it's all such, it's such a narrow focus. You know, it's a very narrow focus and you feel like this is everything. And I just, you know, try, try to share my story a little bit so that students can understand like it, this feels like everything right now, but you get beyond it. And when you get beyond it, everybody finds their path. And my, you know, my path was somewhat circuitous. I know I'm not saying that right, but, um, we find you find your path. And so sometimes you just have to, you have to force yourself to take a step back and try to say, this is, I know this feels like the most important thing right now, but there's a lot more in my life than this. Being in law school too, you end up kind of in an echo chamber, right? Yes. Because all oh the God, other people yes. you're talking to are in the same position and worried about the same things. And so one thing I always recommend, I've worked with a lot of interns and, and stuff. We're still in law school. And I'm like, separate yourself out of your law school crowd for just a little part of your week because you need that sort of sense of warped reality <laughs> to be taken Absolutely. away for a while because otherwise yeah. you're just going to drown in it. I mean, Right. But no, and you can't, you can never have perspective if the only people you're spending time with are, are in that same place. It's very hard to have the the perspective of the rest of your life. Yes. You know, if you're spending all of your time with, with law, it's good to have, I mean, you have to have community and friends in law school, but you need community and friends and family outside of law school too. 100%, 100%. And in your book, you talk about, and you've mentioned these previously in our discussion here, internal and external motivations. So I want to dive a little bit more into that. When you say internal and external motivations, what exactly are you referring to? Well, so maybe, like I think I said this earlier, maybe you go to law school because you have a genuine interest or passion in um, criminal defense work, or you want to be an assistant district attorney, or you picture yourself working in the U.S. attorney's office, or in consumer rights, or, you know, there are so many, there are so many interesting places that one can practice and things that one can do. And so that's, that's your dream. That's why you went to law school, or maybe you just were good at debate (laughs) in high school or college. And someone said, oh, you should be a lawyer. Um, so you, you know, you, you have these ideas of what you want to do and what lawyers do, but then you get to law school and you forget about the role of the lawyer in society or where you thought you were going to find yourself or what your aspiration was for the kind of work that you wanted to do. And it becomes, I have midterms, um, and I need to get X grade on this, or I have my finals and I need to be in the top 10% because for OCI interviews, you know, I will, I, I have to get this grade, you know, those types of things. Or I see other people are going to these clubs. So I have to go to join these clubs or other people, you know, this person did five networking events and I did four. So I must not be networking enough. And it's this kind of constant evaluation of what other people are doing 
and doing it because other people are doing it, not because it is something that is true and authentic to where you want to be, that it's a networking event in an area that you care about, or, you know, that it's a meeting an alumni because it's an alumni in a practice area that you care about, not check the box like, you know, everybody's doing X, Y, or Z. So try, trying to separate oneself. And the, the typical 1L format does not give a lot of opportunities for kind of stepping back and thinking about the student as a person. That's one of the things I try to do in my 1L, um, one credit class is say, all right, well, what do lawyers do? Let's talk about, you know, all of these various, like what, what kinds of things do you want to do? What, what is an actual lawyer's day like? Um, I have former students come in and talk. We do like all kinds of fun things that just don't have a home in, in the first year of law school. And that I hope can help take students back to what it is they really care about and are passionate about. No, I think that's so cool because, you know, as someone who didn't have anyone in her family who went to law school, right, I had a very specific picture of what a lawyer did, and it really didn't have a whole lot of weight. Like, it was just kind of what I thought based on TV or books or hearing random things or whatever. Um, And I had taken one business law course. In undergrad, I was like, I'm going to law school. My dad had a heart attack and it was Uh wonderful. We made it through. But (laughs) my, uh, you know, it was just, all I had to go on was what people in law school were telling me. That was all Uh I had. And so when law schools are prioritizing certain things, you think that's just how it is. You have no other frame of reference. And so I think it's really cool that you have a class that helps emphasize the different perspectives. I've I wish I would have had that when I was in law school. I will say my students enjoy it. Yeah, and um sure. and I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. And one of the one of the things that is most um fascinating to me is when I'm reading their reflection papers, you know, I've always had an idea of some of the stresses and the impact of certain things because my legal writing students would talk to me about it. But when I read these reflection papers, I have a whole different perspective. Like when they get grades back on something they talk about it in these papers or when something happens in class, when a professor, you know, introduces a concept a certain way, or if a student says something like I I hear about these things in their papers and it is really has given me such a fascinating and really relevant and important perspective of what is happening for these students. And it's a year long class. So I kind of follow them through the ups and the downs of the one year. And, um, and it is it impact it impacts directly how I teach in my legal writing class because I have I have a better idea of the impact of critiquing and grading and um, you know skills knowledge uh, and you know all that kind of stuff. So and that brings the first part of my discussion with Professor Shalini George to a close. Professor George covered so many important topics in such a careful, kind, compassionate demeanor. And I think that should serve as a reminder that we all need to exercise self-care, compassion, and kindness to ourselves and others as we navigate sort of this wild landscape that is law school and the law. 
In the next episode, we'll talk more about reflection, mindfulness, and tools and exercises that are from Shalini's book, but also just outside in the world that you may be able to use to help you should you find yourself to be in a position to improve upon your general well-being. Thank you so much for being here and for taking the time to listen. If you have a moment, please go ahead and check out Shalini's book, The Law Student's Guide to Doing Well and Being Well. You can find that at www.cap-press.com. You can also find it on other retailers such as Amazon. If you have a moment, we would really appreciate you leaving a review. If you can, on whatever platform you're listening on, five-star reviews help boost the podcast and get it out into the world so that people can find us and find the information we're sharing. If you have any recommendations, please go ahead and send me an email at lawschoolloungepod at caplaw. Also, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. You'll be able to find us at Law School Lounge. And there we will announce new episodes, give previews, give some behind the scenes information, and just generally communicate with you. So please give us a follow to stay up to date. Thanks again so much for being here. We appreciate you and can't wait to catch you next time.